Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and in this podcast series, I interview physicians, medical innovators, and entrepreneurs making an impact on healthcare. This podcast is produced by DaVinci Academy, a multimedia medical education company that provides podcasts, video courses, and digital textbooks. You can see more on our website, www.dbiacademy.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash DaVinci Academy Med. This podcast is sponsored by Doc2Doc, the personal lending platform designed for doctors by doctors. Do you have some big expenses in the near future? Maybe you're moving, applying to residency or fellowship, fixing up your car or home, or starting a new practice. Doc2Doc believes that traditional lenders overestimate the risk of lending money to doctors, residents, and medical students, focusing too much on the challenges of their financial past and giving them insufficient credit for the promise of their financial future. Check out Dr. Doc's personal loan options at drdoclending.com slash DaVinci. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I am joined this week by Dr. Donna Coriel from New York City. Uh, Dr. Coriel, thanks for joining the DaVinci Hour. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to join you and I'm excited to see where this conversation takes us. Awesome. So yeah, I know you're, you know, a, an internist by training, you know, you were a practicing physician. Now you're the founder and CEO of a company called SomiDocs that you started. So maybe give us a little bit of background of maybe your previous life, like where you did your med school, your residency, where you practiced, those types of things. Uh, and then we'll kind of get into what you're working on now. Sure. So I grew up in um, on the West Coast, um, I went to undergraduate at UCLA. I studied neuroscience. I then flew across the world back to my country of origin, which is Israel, and I obtained a medical degree there at an American program called Sackler, um, which is now closing. Um, and then I uh, flew back to Brooklyn, the other side of the country. I'm sorry, not to Brooklyn. I met, I flew back here to the New York City area. Um, and I said Brooklyn because my husband's from Brooklyn, which is why I came. Um, and I trained at Albert Einstein, the Montefiore division. Um, and the rest was history. I became an internal medicine doctor and I practiced internal medicine. That's great. That's great. So you did your training in New York City and then uh, you practice as a uh, outpatient primary care physician. It sounds like for, for uh, before you moved into the entrepreneurship realm. Well, after residency, I spent about five years at Mount Sinai at the World Trade Center Monitoring and Treatment Program. So that was sort of like an occupational medicine sort of subspecialty. Um, and that was really incredible for, for those five years. I then took three years off, which is a transformational period of my time. Um, and it was to have a third child. I had my first son when I was actually an intern, which made it made it different also because most most residents do not have children. It's such a strenuous and, and difficult time. Um, so I, I was at Sinai doing the World Trade Center. And then when I finished the three years off, and then I went into the primary care setting as we know it today. But that timeline is important because those three years that I took off were mind blowing. They, you know, having stepped away from medicine, um, and experiencing life in a way that I had never experienced before because I went straight through. I think without having taken those three years off, I would not have been where I am, where I am now. Yeah, I think that's an interesting perspective. You know, I 
I, I did, I'm not a non, I'm sort of non-traditional in the same way where I, you know, I did three years between college and med school. I did two years of a master's degree and then a year of re- full-time research. And I feel like for me, it, it gives me a different perspective. I see people that went all the way through and I think back on it now. I mean, as we'll talk about more, I mean, medicine just sucks so much out of your life and like <laughs> you, you give up so much to it. And I think yeah. that's part of probably what's contributing to some of the burnout that we've been seeing. And I don't know if I had to go back and do it again, I still would have taken time off. So I, I agree with you. I think taking some time off, no matter where it is, can give you an interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's, you know, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer or solution, but I vehemently insist that a gap of some sort is necessary for most of us um, in order to sort of like attain life happiness. Um, and for me specifically, um, again, I, I didn't really realize, I know it sounds so sheltered, but I didn't really realize that there was so much more to life than what I grew to know in my trajectory in, you know, becoming a traditional medical doctor. And that makes me sad because I think it, in having taken that time off, it enriched who I am as a person and it actually made me a better physician. Yeah, definitely. I think being well-rounded. I think it's funny. It's uh, kind of a saying you hear people say a lot and kind of tongue in cheek, maybe even sometimes, but I think it's really actually true. You know, I think we try to look for well-rounded people in medicine. And I think exactly what you said, it helps, it helps give you perspective, helps you relate to people better, which I think is also important as a physician. So I'm curious, you know, how did you get going with Somidocs? From what I understand, you started, I think when you were still practicing and I guess kind of what led to you maybe taking, taking that leap and, and starting a company while still practicing full time. I mean, a lot of factors went into why I started Somidocs and also it has evolved so significantly over the years. So it's just all really interesting stories that go back to that time period. Um, definitely those three years off was huge. Um, again, without those three years off, I would not have had the chance to like experiment with these new things that led to the discovery of talents I had, like building a website. To me, that's huge in what Somidocs is because I myself have built brick by brick of that digital space um, and the platform. And I think that's what sort of makes it unique as well because most people that build the websites, they outsource it to someone who can build. But I made it a point to learn myself because I wanted that control um, and, I wouldn't have been able to do it without that time. Um, not that I even learned that during that time, but I think what I learned was that I had a knack for design and that there was an internet in the first place with, there was social media um, in the first place that had a focus that was more professional than social. Um, and getting acquainted with the whole like blogging world and the fact that people around me and even in my community were so affected by bloggers, but that there were no physician bloggers at the time. And so I, you know, when I went back into practicing medicine, I realized when I started to, you know, have an increased patient load that patient by patient was coming in and was so heavily influenced with, by what was being said um, in these blogs. And I had to spend a significant portion of a visit, which was already shrunk down. I had to spend a significant portion of the visit um, explaining things or sometimes disproving things, et cetera. So 
those three years were very crucial for that reason. But of course, going back into practice as a primary care doctor was also very important for me because it helped to shape what I do in SOMEDOCS now. And the fact that it helped me to identify all kinds of different breaks in the system that make internists like me not want to work as internists. I hate to say it because it's it sucks, um, but it's the truth. And I think that the healthcare system is going to pay for it the longer we wait and don't actually um, attack the problem at the root of it. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I've always, in my humble opinion, always thought that primary care has been kind of left behind or, or has lacked attention, uh, you know, both from a national level and then just even in the world of medicine, because it's so critical. I mean, I don't have to tell you this, you, you know, it's as internists that, you know, you see things firsthand, you're the, essentially the gatekeepers in a way to a lot of the other subspecialties and focusing on primary care to help people manage their, you know, chronic issues. And then also, you know, making sure that they don't, you know, fall behind in the health system. You know, you, you see so many people that fall out of follow-up and, you know, it just creates issues, like you said, but not to go down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> I think I just wanted to echo what you said. I thought was really important. So I guess were you you were doing some blogging. Were you active on social media at that point or or were you more focusing on building your website at that point? Had you not moved over to social media yet? I was working on my personal website um, for fun. I really was doing it just to experiment. And I became involved in some of the like early Facebook groups at the time. Um, I started experimenting with writing, which I had never done before. And it became like this really gratifying source of self-expression. Um, and I was moving people that were identifying with my work. And so I'm thankful to those experiences, but um, they also shaped the trajectory of, of Somidox's growth because as connected as we began to be in, as physicians online and through, for example, these Facebook groups, I started to also feel stifled in there as well. Um, these groups were not conducive to real networking. What I found, personally speaking, what I found was that um, there was a lot of, understandably to some degree, there was a lot of control being exerted by admins. Um, but what I, there was no like applicability of rules. There were no rules that were established in these groups that applied to everyone. And that really bothered me. It bothered me as a true entrepreneur at heart who feels like fair is fair and there needs to be structure and rules. And that bothered me a lot. And it was the sort of the impetus for me starting my own group, um, SOMIDOCS, in allowing my colleagues and I to share the work that we had created in a fair way. Now, having done that, I can tell you that I learned, I learned fairly quickly that there does have to be rules and structure, especially when you're using an existing social media platform, because you're essentially building something within the house of someone else. Like you're renting, when you're opening a Facebook group, for example, you are renting space inside of Mark Zuckerberg's hotel. Um, so you still have to abide by his rules. And that can be a little tricky, but still, there is still a way to do things in a structured manner where you're respecting um, every member of your Facebook group, for example. Um, so that's been something I've struggled with for the last many years as I stepped away from clinical medicine to focus on growing this venture, which can really help doctors with networking, with learning, with amplification, but 
ensuring that I grow it slowly because it matters to me that I grow it the right way and with respect um, to each of the doctors that potentially joins. Yeah, sure. No, I think those are those are great points. I'm curious, you know, when you when you first started this and you were st- you were kind of like you said dabbling with it a little bit, and then it became more than just a hobby and a passion. What what was kind of that turning point, if there was one, where you said, you know what, I'm gonna I need I think I need to do this full time now. I think this is where where I need to focus my efforts. I'm curious if maybe if that was a gradual decision or if that was, you know, there was a moment where you felt like this is it. That's such a good question. Ooh, it's such a good, I don't think anyone's really asked me that. And it is such a good question. Um, because there's, there's been so much evolution to this and to me as a human and to my goals and, I had a, I, I knew where this, I knew what I was building and I knew I had a vision of what I was building and I knew that I was building it. I just didn't know how I would build it. And I didn't know all the different nuances that it would take to build it. Um, if that makes sense. And I think that ac- actually that's, it's a gift and it's also, you know, not a gift because as you do it, because it's more of a vision and because it's so innovative along the way, the people you turn to for help, sometimes they don't get it right. You try to explain it, but something's a vision. Something is not yet built out. People don't really get it if it doesn't yet exist. So it's really been a like an uphill battle for me to have grown it. And I think that that's also part of why I learned to build myself because if the other person doesn't get what I'm trying to build, then I'm just going to build it myself. It's that famous saying, if you build it, they will come. Um, So I took those years to build it and they came. Um, So I knew I was going to grow something significant all along um, from when I went back to practicing those from those three years off to going back, I knew I was going to build something but I just got bigger and stronger and better at what I was doing. And I was achieving so much that it became a no brainer to me that the impact I had practicing medicine and seeing one patient at a time, the impact was just very little. And I saw the power of growing Somidox and that I could not only have so much greater impact growing Somidox, but that I could bring in like every single doctor that I brought into Somidocs could make that even more, you know, could make an exponential impact. And together um, we would be stronger. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that where, you know, entrepreneurship gives you that, that, um, that broader impact, if you will, rather than, I mean, yes, as a, like you said, as a physician, you can make an impact one patient at a time, but I think, entrepreneurship kind of has that really cool way where you can just impact so many different people on such a wide scale. Um, I'm curious, you know, so I guess give us a little bit of overview of where you've kind of evolved. You know, you say it's evolved over time. What, like, again, give us us an overview, like so many docs, like the doctors you work with, I know you're trying to promote them, you know, get them involved, but it sounds like it's more than just that. It's, it's like a, you know, it's a partnership. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, for networking, and things like that. So I guess how does, what, what kind of, you know, relationships do you develop with the physicians you're involved with? And then how, I guess, 
some people may be wondering like, how is that different than like LinkedIn or things like that, or some of the other groups like you mentioned? So I'm just curious about that. Great question. There's so many differences. And and again, it de- you know, I could take one, one entity at a time and describe why it's different because each of them is different in what they represent and how they can help you. So, you know, just taking, um, I can describe how it's different than other Facebook groups. And then I can describe how it's different than LinkedIn, um, which are both, you know, great resources. So, It's different than the usual Facebook groups that you'll be a part of because it has that extra website and platform additionally fueling it. The Facebook group, in fact, that we run is merely an interactive space for people that are involved in SomiDocs in some way. And the reason I stress that is because I made it a point to have both paid and free options with the long-term goal of making it completely free for doctors. I just need, you know, like any venture, you need to raise money to keep it running. And I prefer to not uh, raise money from venture capitalists. I prefer to sort of keep it in the family and have the doctors sort of um, run it through in that way. Um, But it's been hard. It's been hard convincing doctors because we're not asking for donation. Like I made it a point to make a membership where I was actually giving back. So the Facebook group, the difference between SomiDocs and Facebook groups is that the Facebook group is there just as an, like an interactive space. In fact, we could probably use any interactive space to interact. We could use Slack and we can use WhatsApp, but I chose Facebook because it just seems like it's the space where everyone's at. But it's important for me to say this because if Facebook closed tomorrow, right, that's another difference between Facebook groups and what I've built. We have a platform that's ours separately from Facebook. And that's something I teach regularly to entrepreneurs who dabble online is that you really should use um you really should use Facebook just as a billboard um, or any social media platform, including LinkedIn. And so now we can sort of segue into why is LinkedIn different? So LinkedIn is fantastic. It's actually my favorite social media platform, merely because it's just so professional. And I really appreciate that. Um, People really don't, for the most part, engage in personal attacks there. Um, And you know, a lot of times their politics really are kept out. I think that's really a source of some of the infighting that you see within medicine. Um, I really love LinkedIn because I'm a true entrepreneur at heart. That said, um, LinkedIn has some limitations. So the difference between LinkedIn and what I'm doing is um, multiple things. The first is that LinkedIn um, is a space where everybody can be at and everyone interacts. So sometimes it could be a little bit overwhelming um, and it's hard for the public to find the doctors. What I've built is a space where you can actually get in, uh, connect directly with real doctors. So we vet the doctors that come in as opposed to LinkedIn, where you're sort of just building your profile and saying who you are. Um, it's sort of almost like, if you build it, it will come literally. Like if you say you're an expert in something, then you're an expert in something, which is the magic of social media, but also a double-edged sword because those of us that have practiced for so long and have been educated to earn our medical degrees at the end of the day, turn around and say, well, why did I do all this if everyone's now a health expert? 
So that's one of the main differences. But another really huge difference is that the doctors that come on the SOMEDOCS platform and, for example, build a profile or add an article, um, we work with them. We work with them and for them. So one little example is if they upload an article, right? Right now we accept articles that are already being written on doctors' blogs because we believe that doctors should own their content, right? And not have us own the content. We will help that doctor recycle their content. They submit the article. We whip it up, optimize it for SEO. We slap a really cool photo on it and just make it look really magical and publish it on our online magazine, okay? But we also help to circulate it and to co-promote it. And so you've got this active arm of SOMEDOCS that doesn't exist with LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, you just publish an article. On Medium, you just publish an article. On SOMEDOCS, you don't just publish the article. You publish the article and then what we do on the back end is we then take your article and we promote it across our social media platforms to the 40,000 followers and more because the SOMEDOCS website is publicly accessible and draws in any eyeballs that are interested in health and health care. So really, it's almost like um, an aggregation of health expert content and it builds a library of some sort that's beautifully categorized. And then whoever wants to sort of get a resource or meet a doctor can come on our site and use the filters um, with their own specific needs, if that makes sense. And, and there's other things we do too. It's not just articles. There's um, beyond exam rooms, for example, where doctors can showcase their podcasts, where I'm going to see your podcast soon. They get podcast portfolios showcased. You get authors of books and of blogs published and they get their own book portfolio and you get speakers where doctors who want to be speakers can have a speaker portfolio built and course creators you built a course great we'll build you a landing page for that course and help you to get more eyeballs so that you can sell more courses we've got a live lecture section which is like a master class or a tedx but also different because the doctor can actually choose a price, right? It, TEDx, you build the talk and you give it and you're done. I mean, it circulates and you get thought leadership, which is fantastic, but you don't necessarily make money of it. Whereas here you could build the lecture, you can give the lecture, we record it, and then we make it available for free or for a price if you want it to be, for example, passive income, the same way that a course would be, but now you're only delivering one lecture. So again, one of the main differences is just that we're actively co-promoting, we're actively marketing our doctors as thought leaders in healthcare, and doctors really need that now. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think you're seeing more and more physicians at least active on one social media. I think several are active on obviously more and I'll be curious to get your thoughts on that in a minute here. But I think I just want to make a comment where I I think this is such a great service you're providing because I, I've had so many physicians that say like they don't know where to start or that they kind of get burnt out on social media because it is it's a lot of work. Like I, I've had a few, you know, physicians on here that are, you know, very active and have a huge following on social media, but they, even them have, you know, told me that like, hey, it's just at some point it gets so much work you know, is it worth it? You know, that kind of thing. And I think it's worth it. It's one of those though, 
where I could see where you get burnout in addition to clinical practice or whatever else you're doing. And so I think, and then also for people getting started, like in this day and age, it's hard to build a following. I mean, you know, it's, it, it can be hard to get content to like take off or the right content to take off. And I think what you're doing to like facilitate both of those, like your reach and then also like facilitating the content production. I think that's awesome. Like such amazing points that you just made. I actually needed to almost like jot down notes of the things that I wanted to say, because there's so much to say, and we probably won't be able to say it all in this podcast, but um, yeah, the beauty, um, the beauty of it is that a, this is one space that look, that's looking to like make all of our work compact. Like when I said that I'm building a library, I mean it, I am hoping to build, you can think of it as a library or you can think of it as an expert virtual mall, but where you know which department you're walking into based on your needs. But even in that department, you can find and connect with exactly what you're looking for. Um, and you know that, for example, it's a verified doctor, um, et cetera. So one place to be found, and that's including doctors finding other doctors. So even like those Facebook communities that I mentioned before, like nobody is openly working with every single Facebook group out there to make a directory. So like I've built a community section, which really works as an open-faced public directory, and it's free for any admins of a Facebook group that actually wants to grow it. But you need to be collaborative. You need to say, okay, I'm willing to work with SomiDocs to grow my group because I know that I'm plugging my group in there with other hundreds of groups. And together, we will share the link so that our members see it and their members see mine and the members of that one see everyone else's. And it really is then a collaboration where a doctor can now land on the site or a patient or a business and go to the community section because they're like, oh, I wonder what Facebook group is out there. Our filter bar, right? We have a find a doctor directory that's like no other, it's called a data bank. It's like no other data bank out there. You can find physician based on so many things that you just can't find in any other data bank, including I want to find a doctor that's an interventional radiologist or that's a cardiologist that's also on Instagram. I mean, the implications of that um, are so far and wide because now companies that want, for example, to work with you because your podcast sounds enticing to them and your target audience matches theirs, they can now quickly just look at your Instagram and see if it's worth linking up and connecting with you because they want to place an ad in your podcast. Like it makes it so seamless and quick that to me, it's a no brainer. The other thing I wanted to say, because you mentioned it is that um, what I didn't say that we do, because we do so much, is that we serve as a networking platform and as an incubator. So the networking platform is just the natural, um, the natural part of what we are because we are a community of doctors that really are attracting entrepreneurs or at least an entrepreneurial mindset. So that's the perfect um, space to network. And that's actually something that doctors have been missing because um, we just haven't networked to date. We've always been siloed, but we need to network effectively. Um, and that doesn't exist right now because we are all sort of in the extremes of whether it's our political affiliation or how we 
you know, feel about mid-levels or whatever it is that we are working on. Um, I'm trying to build a space where we could come together from an entrepreneurial perspective and almost be like, I, I don't want to be the referee, but be a space where all are welcome. So that's sort of the networking uh, part of it. And we are rebranding that community um, actually very shortly. And we're going to be calling it the Doctors Networking Club. And it's going to be like similar maybe to other Facebook groups combined, but where everyone is welcome, where there's rules and structures and everyone has to abide by them. And then separately, there's the incubator, which is the part of SomiDocs that's a paid membership that I've kept because at the end of the day, like I am giving my time and there um, we, you know, I teach social media, I host groups where we can actually give each other feedback, give each other tips and grow on social media and on the different platforms that exist on social media. And I'm going to say one last thing, because you mentioned that there's so many platforms out there and you're right. That's something that I have had experience from both when I was practicing and it was overwhelming to when I'm no longer practicing and yet it's still overwhelming to be in every single platform. But that's part of why SoMeDocs is so cool is because when you submit an article and it gets accepted and published on our website, remember I said earlier, we circulate it for you. Well, we can reach those little crevices and those little spaces where you're not present because we will share it on our Pinterest or on our Instagram or on our Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Um, and so even if you're not in those spaces, those followers that are following us there, go to your article, they see what a cool writer you are and they click into your profile and see exactly where they can connect with you. That's awesome. So I really like the directory you're talking about because it's one, it's vetted. It's not just like you said, and it's a double-edged sword this day where even on LinkedIn, which I think is, you know, it sounds like you would agree with this, this is even kind of a little bit higher standard of professionalism. But I think you you come across some profiles on there where you kind of wonder, are they really an expert in this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, 100%. <laughs> and so Again, if you build it, they will come. I, I truly believe that's true in this world. But as a medical doctor that spent you know, close to three decades of my life in school, and some of us spend four decades. Um, it's frustrating. And I think the world can agree with that. It's not because we're power hungry. It's not because we're trying to have control. It's because, hey, I trained for almost 30 years. I, I studied for all those years and it's so many missed opportunities, but I dedicated my time to be an expert in health and someone who just became the expert they claim to be just opened their LinkedIn account yesterday and they get to say they're the expert in what I've trained for for 30 years. And yet because they had a TikTok video go viral dancing and I didn't dance, they're suddenly the expert in it. I mean, I hate to use that extreme of an instance because really it's not like the world is gray. The world is not black or white. Um, so there's incredible people that aren't doctors out there. I mean, there's incredible people and ancillary staff and people in healthcare that are so, so important. Our nurses and our, our you know, all of our staff, um, our phlebotomists, our janitors, I mean, everybody is important. But where it comes to health and the health interaction, and you're talking about a medical interaction, it really is important to know the credentials of the person that you are seeing and then make an informed decision. So yeah, 
Yeah. So the data bank, so I'm sorry. So I meant, so I meant to tie it in with the data bank in that the data bank is such a unique space because we vet, we not only vet the doctors, but the degrees, every time you click into a doctor's profile, the degree is nice and big and bold front and center so that you see exactly who it is that you are, um, that you're going to potentially follow whose articles you're reading, et cetera. So recently we opened up to, I mean, we don't yet have it again, we're growing extremely gradually, but we opened it up to podiatrists and dentists, right? Um, and they're going to be under the category of dentists and podiatrists, and they're going to have their degree highlighted there. And again, that's at least closer to transparency and informed decision-making where it comes to here world, here's this giant space called Google where there's no rules or regulations, but where SomiDocs is at least making an attempt to organize things for you and to help introduce you to people that have dedicated their lives to healing and have truly um, been educated in it. That's interesting. You know, I'm curious, I wanted to pick your brain on what, what do you, when you work with uh, different doctors for social media, which ones, do, which platforms do you recommend? Or do you think it more is kind of like what they're trying to do? Like what they're trying to, like, are they trying to promote their practice? Are they trying to promote, like you said, maybe a blog, a podcast, maybe their company, maybe they've started a side company or something like that. I'm yeah. curious what, what you think, because I feel like there's a little bit different audience. Like you can, you can try to post the same stuff Absolutely. on every single thing, but I feel like it's a little bit different audience. Oh, you're 100% right. Um, Every platform is so, so unique. It's extremely intricate of an answer. And this is why I, you know, on the side, I, I'm an advisor because there's not definitely not a one size fits all. Every platform is so unique in how you use it and what, what, who's attracted to that content. And it also has to do with like, what are you good at? Because one little example, right? If you don't love taking photos or sharing photos, then, I mean, you could get around it using Instagram. There's so many ways to get around that, but Instagram is probably not a platform that you're going to connect with. Um, likewise, YouTube is probably not the platform for you if you don't like making videos <laughs> because it's a video platform. Um, that said, I do think there's tips and tricks to getting around the things you don't like to do. I'm a prime example. Um, as much as I'm a social media doc, like I don't love sharing personal things very much. I mean, I have pushed myself to share some things, um, but I do like to keep a lot to myself because I don't know, I think it just protects you as a human to sort of still have like a real life where it's the family that's real in the flesh that loves you and knows you. And you can also make mistakes in real life. You can't really make mistakes online. I mean, so to speak. Yeah. Advising on which platform a doctor should start with is dependent on the physician and, and his or her goals. Um, that said, I do think there's a really incredible way that we can recycle our content and leverage um, being on all of those spaces. Maybe not every single one, but there's so many incredible ways to be seen everywhere and sort of leverage being a billboard because that's how I describe it, but being a billboard in every highway. So like I've got, you know, we have this, the new uh, live lectures feature of SomiDocs features doctors that give lectures. 
Um, any doctor could give a lecture and any audience member can click in to the live and watch it for free, even if it's going to be paid later. Um, I'm going to be giving some of those lectures. And one of my upcoming lecture is about how to use Canva. Um, and Canva is, there's so many tools out there for creating content and just making things quicker for us. And Canva is one of those really, really versatile tools that can help us to create really cool content, even if we are just not great at design. And it helps us to create it really fast. Um, and it's just about kind of getting over those humps of like, okay, you come to listen to my lecture and you kind of get an overview of how it works. And you're like, okay, I can do this. So I think leveraging all platforms is super important once you know what your brand is and you want to get the word out um, because people that are on Instagram may not be on Facebook and the people on Facebook may not be on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. But there's certainly a really relatively easy way um, to leverage being seen on all of those audiences combined. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like one I've seen in the podcast community that I've tried to do lately is you know, you see the long form content and then you see like the clips, like the preview clips. So that's what, that's why I like doing video. I think like I was telling you before we started recording is, uh, recycling clips that are like high points from different interviews and putting them on, you know, Instagram reels or things like that, because I'm not someone who naturally takes a lot of pictures. And so, and then also it's, it's hard in the hospital. Like you can't like with HIPAA, I always try to be very careful with that. And they've even done studies on that, that doctors are probably not always as careful sometimes as they should be with that. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, I'd be scared to take pictures of the hospital. Also like you, and again, this raises a whole different topic of like making sure that your employer is at least aware of the fact that you are growing presence online. Um, that's super important, but I think it can get hairy if you create content on, for example, on their premises and then use it um, for your own brand and you haven't necessarily either told them or signed a piece of paper that says that you own 100% of your content. And that's really, really important because we do live in a legal society, a legally conscious society um, where the hospital systems are behemoths <laughs> and you don't want to mess with them. So if your brand, whatever you're building, if it gets successful, but it's theoretically being built on their time, um, then that's something that they could theoretically go after, even if they did not, you know, did not help in any way. Of course, there's nuances to that, but that's why it's really important if you're, you know, building something and you're still employed to make sure that if you're building it while you're employed, while you're, you know, at the premises that they're aware and they're okay with it. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, I think some of these some of these con employment contracts, they they sneak that in there and you may not even realize it. Like uh, you know, some of the other things I do is like medical device development and uh, you know, that like if you work in an academic institution, I mean, they even as a resident, they say you they own every a lot of institutions will say they own every anything you come up with. It's interesting though, I have seen examples like you're describing where if you create something that's not like it that's more like how do I say this? artistic or like more like creative or, or things like that, or it's a lecture or something like that, then, then it, it's, I feel like there's more gray area or even, you know, that favors on the side of the, 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 the individual rather than the institution some of those instances. Yeah. But it's gray. And like, yeah. you know, the lawyers in this country are extremely 
astute and intelligent, um, like doctors are, and that's literally their, their lives is, you know, proving points. And so you don't want to step into that gray zone where someone can challenge it. You want, you know, you want it squared away. You want to make sure that if you are building a podcast that you believe is going to be amazing, which I hope that everybody believes in, right. If you're going to build a podcast, you're going to say to yourself, this is the Amazon of podcasts. Um, but if you're going to do that, then make sure that you own a hundred percent of those rights. And just to go back to what you said earlier, cause it so irks me that point of like systems, which I'm super grateful for because they help to train me. So don't get me wrong. I wrong. I am extremely grateful to the hospital systems for having trained me, but what I really don't like is when systems quote own you, that is a, not only a pet peeve of mine, but it is something that I have vowed to change through SOMIDOCs, through discussions, through articles and through increased awareness to the residents and the medical students and the younger generation that's out there. Um, I am constantly trying to educate people about owning your own intellectual property, owning your own brand and fighting against that type of ownership, things like non-compete, same thing. I just don't understand. I, I understand it from their perspective because I'm an entrepreneur. I understand that it's smart, but I also understand that doctors at some point will have to stand up for our rights as individuals and say, we are the ones that are running your health system here, right? Again, very important players. We're not the only ones, but without us, are you going to be able to run a hospital? I'm not sure that a hospital will be able to be run without the doctors. So that's something that we need to learn and to stand up for and say, well, all of us are now getting together and standing up against, you know, non-competes as a field and basically pressuring them through public awareness because it, it affects the patient at the end of the day if the doctor is owned by the hospital so that if the hospital decides to fire them, they suddenly cannot practice within a whatever vicinity they signed, a 10-mile radius. Now the doctor has to move. So the patient that's seen them and loves them can no longer see them because the, the doctor, even though they want to stay local, they have to move to a different part of the country because of these non-compete clauses. So that's just one of the things that one, just one of the issues that are broken in healthcare that we need to raise awareness for. And we need to sort of teach the endpoint users, the patients, why it actually affects them that we're being forced to sign non-competes. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, I'm thinking as we're talking here, I'm curious what you think, because I've had other guests comment on this where that if you only focus on clinical medicine for 30 years, you're pro especially in this day and age, maybe not in the old days, but in this day and age, you're probably going to burn out at some point. I'm curious what your initial thoughts are on that. And then also, how much do you think, you know, doing something like, you know, being active on social media or LinkedIn or being active, you know, building a podcast or something like that, or a blog, how much it can help prevent that, if you will, because some, you know, you some, especially older physicians be like, oh, that's a distraction. You shouldn't be worried about things like that. You should be focused on clinical medicine. But I feel like in this day and age is different. Like I feel like in, in a lot of ways, this stuff, these types of endeavors enhance you as not as generally as a person, but always as a doctor, just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. 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 Um, nowadays doing only clinical medicine, absolute path to burnout. Absolutely. And especially in 
generalist fields like primary care, like internal medicine, like pediatrics, like family medicine. Um, absolutely. And I can speak for hours on this. So I won't waste your time um, because absolutely the way healthcare is being run now, it is so tedious, so robotic. So you have to just check off box after box of sometimes ridiculously irrelevant things. It just is the exact formula to burnout and exactly what we shouldn't be doing um, and exactly what our patients don't want us to do. They don't want us checking off, uh, taking off check, check boxes. They want us being warm and listening and making eye contact and hugging. I know that's controversial, but like some human touch, holding a hand, you know, what happened to humanity, the humanity? Um, so yeah, with doing just clinical medicine, that is the sure way path to burning out. So can social media prevent it? Absolutely. There are so many incredible things that you could do with social media nowadays to beat, to, to beat, not just beat burnout, but to even just express yourself, to connect with others, to find support groups, to develop a side hobby, to build a business, to build your own brand, to start your own private practice to cut ties with the systems and say, hey, I'm gonna do it myself and I'm going to grow a practice and I'm gonna do it because I've connected with others on social media, et cetera. Like there's so much more to social media than just using it for marketing. And one of my favorite things to say to everyone is don't view social media as social. Take out the word social from social media because it really is no longer just social media, it's media. And that's a really powerful term and it's double-edged. So you have to be careful when you're in it, um, but to not use it is to waste um, so many potential opportunities that you would not have otherwise had. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, you know, becoming almost more of a necessity. I feel like in this day and age where like, if you, it's, and if you don't do it, it I mean, you can still probably get away with not doing it, but you're going to limit yourself with, you know, because, you know, you, like you said, it's not just marketing, it's, you know, getting your thoughts out there, getting what, you know, getting your featuring your work, featuring what you're doing, you know, and, um, and then also demonstrating that you are an expert in X, Y, and Z or, or things like that. Um, so I think, I think that's an excellent point right there. Well, to, to me, it's just really quite simple. It's if you, let's say are the world's foremost expert in topic X, literally the biggest expert, right? but you don't have social presence, right? And you're, so you're not marketing your thought leadership on social media, or you don't have a website that you've built that says you're the expert in topic X. Um, are you really the expert in topic X? Because all of the opportunities out there that could use you don't know that you exist. So it's like having a tree fall in the woods and did it really make a, a sound? Um, are you really the world's foremost expert if you're not putting it out there and actually making sure that people not only know, but that opportunities are coming your way to continue to help to prove that you are the expert? I think that's an excellent point. I think some physicians get caught up in, oh, I've published this many papers in this topic or whatever. And that's great. You know, sure. In the literature and in physician world, but patients don't read the, those things. And the, you know, other companies don't read those, those publications for the most part, 
you know, maybe if they have a niche interest in it. So I think what you're saying is so true because you could be this highly prolific published author in, you know, research author in all these in certain area, but otherwise no one will really know about it unless they're like in that niche area, if you know what I mean. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm also laughing to myself because I'm now like envisioning like a paper, right? That let's say a few doctors have published, but then I envision that there's hundreds, if not thousands of doctors that could basically just interpret that paper. So really, um, even if you publish the paper um, and mainstream media was going to cover your research findings, they wouldn't even necessarily need to find you as the writer of the article. They would just find the people that are out there with social presence to interpret it and just comment on it. So that's one of the big differences between yesteryear and today is that in the past, you know, you sort of, if you were the writer, like the media would come and they would search for you and they would like ask for you because they just could not reach doctors that were unreachable because we were practicing behind closed doors. Nowadays, I mean, if there's a paper on cardiology, you could go to the SOMEDOCS, find a doctor databank, and you can find one of the cardiologists. Um, and again, those are people that are primed to be contacted because they have taken out the time. They have actually actively um, sought out having a profile and being on social media. So they're more likely to agree to give you a quote or to interpret that cardiology um, paper. So it's a whole different world out there. And again, you can publish uh, papers and that's great because we need papers published, but that doesn't necessarily even mean that you're the superstar anymore because a lot of times the person who's, you know, the person who's quoted is the person who's just interpreting it for media. I think that's a really interesting point. You know, you see all these different news channels with their, you know, medical correspondence and that, and then it's, as you said, it's even balanced, extended over into the social media realm as well. I'm curious, as we close out here, I want to give you a chance to kind of talk about how, how do physicians, if they want to get involved with SOMEDOCS, what, how do they do it? What's, what's the best route? Uh, it's, there's so many options, I guess, where do they even start? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So we've really evolved. We went through different iterations and we're always experimenting and we are extremely flexible. So that's something that is very similar to other digital ventures today, like Facebook and LinkedIn, who are constantly changing their interfaces and things like that. Um, so there's at this point, um, two main ways to get involved. First of all, there's the communities. There's Facebook communities that anybody can join. If you're a member of the public, we have a SomeDocs public uh, Facebook group. And if you are a doctor, we have a members only group and we have a soon reopening SomeDocs group, which is going to be rebranded as the, the uh, doctor's networking club. So there's two options to get involved on the site. There's um, a membership, a network membership, uh, which has a cost associated with it. And it gives you all the perks and the perks are many, including building profiles, building portfolios, have, being able to upload articles, to give lectures, to come to our virtual networking events um, and to come to social media sessions where you really grow your social media as a group. Um, but then there's, I'm slowly and gradually opening a free profile section membership where you might not get all of the perks of network membership. You might not get to come and like work on social media because a lot of doctors don't need that. They just want a profile on our site. So I'm working on gradually bringing doctors in and building them a profile gratis, like for free. Um, and 
we, we sort of select, it's sort of like exclusive, but ultimately that will be available to every uh, medical doctor that's out there, you know, MDDO and et cetera. Um, so those are the immediate ways of getting um, involved on the site. And if you go to doctorsonsocialmedia.com, there's going to, there's a four doctors tab and under it, there's, you know, become a member, um, submit an article, et cetera, et cetera. So it should be pretty self-explanatory. And again, the interactive spaces are just another little tidbit um, to allow us to connect, but it's structured. Um, and the doctor's networking club, uh, I'm not going to go into because we're experimenting with that, but that's um, a doctor's only space on Facebook that will, for now at least, um, it will almost be like a summit that occurs every month where it's a five workday period at the beginning of each month. And every day is a different topic. And everyone that is able to post freely because it, the whole point is to network, but only on the topic for that day. So if, for example, on Monday of that month, we the topic is speaking or speakers, you can post anything that's speaking or speaker related, right? Tips or, hey, I spoke on this podcast, look, et cetera, et cetera. But then the next day, you can no longer post about speakers, but you're now posting about advocacy. Um, and this way, it's really like facilitated networking. And it's not just random people like posting their YouTube, you know, videos. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason to posts. That's great. That's great. Um, we'll definitely link in the description, but just so people can hear it, what's what's the the URL for the website? And then, you know, all that your social media handles for these as well would be uh, great to hear too. Fantastic. Yeah. So the main site is doctorsonsocialmedia.com. Um, I am currently working with the website somedocs.com to potentially make that more of like the doctor, um, the doctor hub that might be like the, the doctor networking clubs site versus doctors on social media.com, which is open to the world and it showcases us and it's got our profiles, et cetera, et cetera. So those two different websites and the handles, there's two handles. There's somedocs, which is the business S O M E D O C S stands for social media docs. And then there's me personally, and I'm Dr. Coriel, D-R-C-O-R-R-I-E-L. Um, and again, something important to learn, another little tip for um, dabbling in social media and entrepreneurship in the world of today is that those are different, right? You're a person um, that's representing you in your own personal, like Dr. Coriel versus Somidocs, which is my business, which represents all of the doctors that my company is showcasing through profiles and articles and portfolios, et cetera. That's awesome. And we'll definitely, definitely provide the links for that. As we close out here, I ask every guest this, when you're not working on Somi Docs and your other endeavors, what, what are your, uh, your passions in life? How do you find that balance if you can find one? <laughs> Ooh, balance is hard. Hmm. Well, I'm a mother and a wife. I have three beautiful boys. Um, they're the most important things to me in the world even though I ate my son's rice for dinner tonight. <laughs> angry with me as we speak. Um, I really love, I love creating. I'm just a really like overly creative person. My, my, my mind always has like many things running in it at once. I love to create eye photography to play around with apps. Um, I like using iPhone Photoshop. I love to write things and to express myself. I love design. I love designing spaces and I love finding 
um, really unique items and bargain hunting and, you know, going to estate sales and finding things that no one else has. Um, and that creates sort of like a statement piece that you can talk about for years with people that come to visit your home. Um, so again, I'm, I'm very artistic. I'm all about creativity. Um, and I hope to infuse that um, to everyone else's life because I do believe creativity is happiness. Well said. Well said. That's very cool. Well, Dr. Coriel, thank you so much for taking time on your busy schedule to join us. I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour podcast presented by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.